0: sing this
1: Together for Jesus, why don't you? Amen. Praise you, Lord. Amen. It's good to have everyone here, man. I know there's several, several families out today. Uh, it's like maybe half the church. I so just want to remember those folks in prayer, amen. But it's just good to be here, amen. We're going to take this moment, man. We're going to give God some glory this morning. You with me? Amen. Hallelujah. Why don't we sing that song? If you're in the battle for the Lord and right.
0: You're in the battle for the Lord And rise keep on the firing line And if it win, my brother, surely you must fight Oh, keep on the firing line There are many dangers that we all must face If we die of fighting, it is no disgrace Cowards in the service, you will find no place, so keep on the firing line, well you must fight, be brave against all evil, oh never run or even lag behind, and if you Only use a soldier he can trust, brother. to keep on the firing line. And if you'd wear a crown to bear the cross, you must, Or oh, keep on the firing line. See, life is but to labor for the master, deed, help to banish evil and to spread good cheer. Great, you'll be rewarded for your service here. Just keep on the firing line. Well, you must fight, be brave against all evil. Never. Get to heaven, brother, you'll be glad. Keep on the firing line. And how we'll praise the Savior for the call we had. Just keep on that firing line. And when we see the souls that we have helped to win, leading them to Jesus from the past of sin. With the shout of welcome, we will all march in. So keep hold that firing line. For you must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run or even lag behind. If you would wait for God in the right, just keep on. I can run through a truth and be over a wall. Hallelujah! Oh, hallelujah! Well, he's my rock and my shield, he gives power to. Oh, hallelujah! Oh, hallelujah! And now I'm free from condemnation. Jesus is the rock of oh, my salvation I can run through a truth And leap over a wall Hallelujah Oh, hallelujah Sing it now Well, I can run through a truth And leap over a wall Hallelujah Hallelujah He's my rock and my shoe Power to all oh, hallelujah, oh hallelujah, and now I'm free from condemnation. Jesus, oh, my salvation, I can run through the tree and over all hallelujah. Oh, sing it again now, hallelujah. Well, I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. Well, he's my rock and my shield. He gives power to all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now I'm free from condemnation. Jesus is the rock. Of my salvation I can run through the truth And leap over a wall. Hallelujah Oh, Hallelujah Amen Give Him some praise, why don't you? Hallelujah
1: Amen, amen Let's sing that song Jesus, hold my hand Key of F
0: As I travel through this period from land, there is a friend who walks with me. Well, he leads me send me through the sinking sand. It is the Christ of Calvary. And this would be my prayer to God each day to help me be the best I can. For I need thy light to guide me day and night. Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. I need the every hour. Is that right? While through this pilgrim land, protect. In prayer, I hope to meet you there. Blessed Jesus, oh, my hand. Let me travel in this light divine that I may see the blessed way. And keep me that I may be holy, and sing redemption songs someday. Well, I will, brave and true and ever firmly, take a stand. And as I onward go and daily meet the full, blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Sing it out with well, Jesus, hold my hand. will I need the every hour. Wonder wander through the valley dim toward the setting of the sun. Oh, now lead me safely to the land of rest, by a crown of life have won. See, I have put my faith in thee, dear Lord, that I may reach the golden strand. Blessed Jesus, oh, hold my hand. That's right. Oh, Jesus, hold my hand. I need you, dear me, Walk through this pilgrim land, protect me by thy saving power. Love him. Why don't you praise him a little bit more? Amen. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. Amen. My, you sound so nice this morning.
1: Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to sing one more just before we change the order of the service and take our special needs before the Lord. Amen. i like to sing that song you were playing earlier. I worship you, Almighty God. I
0: worship you. Almighty God. Come on, let's just raise our hands. There is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. We praise you, Lord Jesus. That is what I want to do. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I.
1: Friends, he can reach out and touch you, whatever you may be going through, and whether it's depression, heartache, loss, sorrow, man, God is the answer to your needs, friend. And we're just gonna reach out to him this morning. And many of our saints are are not here as we mentioned before, and our hearts go out to them. And if they're streaming, Amen, we're praying for you. Mention some of these so that we can remember these in prayer, Amen. We want to remember the Cockman family, Brother David Cockman and his family. Uh, they're home today. Uh, Sister Tracy Rabin is not able to be here. Man, we want to remember in special prayer Brother Tim Hayton and Brother Ron Peterson. Both of them have the virus. And they're going through a really tough time right now, so they could use a, a desperate touch from the Lord. So please keep them up in your prayers. And if you'd remember, Brother Peter Coffey, he was having to work today. And Sister Rachel Coffey is not feeling well. And there's also a request here for Sister Becky. Um, she's not feeling well. So we going keep her in prayer. And if you'll remember, Brother Tom Ward in prayer, he has an upcoming knee surgery on Tuesday. And the doctor wants him to stay home. And they went through all the testing for the virus to make sure he. You know he didn't have that before the surgery, so they just want him to stay home before he has that. Keep him in your prayers, I man. As he goes under the surgeon's knife, that God would guide him, amen. Uh, let's remember the Paschal family. They're not able to leave Virginia at this time. Everybody's quarantined for several days if they want to leave the state. So, man, we we certainly miss them and uh, wish they were here with us brother steve and sister sarah are in virginia keep them in your prayers the whitlock family's not with us amen Uh, brother john cockman and his family uh, they have some sickness they're dealing with so let's keep them in prayer amen there's a lot of prayer requests today so we just man we just want to pray that god would sweep through our church amen and just touch these needs also have the drum family Uh, they are not able to be here and Sister Karen Pruitt, uh, she has uh, upcoming brain surgery. So if you would remember her in prayer as well. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy if you would come forward and take these needs before the Lord. Do you have unspoken prayer requests? Amen. By uplifted hands, God knows your need and we're going to pray with you, friend. Come on, Brother Jeremy. Take these needs before the Lord at this time. Amen.
2: Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much, Lord. We're thankful, Lord, that we can come to you, Lord, the purchased Lord of your blood. Father, you paid the price for everything that we have need of, Lord, everything that we're going through, things that we're facing. Lord, we... Find comfort in you, Lord. We come to you this morning, Lord, just thankful for the opportunity to gather this morning, Lord, to worship you, to, Lord, just praise you. We ask, Lord, that you would come, Lord, and just cover us with your blood this morning, Lord. Forgive us of our shortcomings, Lord. Father, we lay these needs at your throne, Father, and just, it seems like a lot, Lord, but everything is in your hands, Lord. It's the best place it could be, Lord. Father, we believe that you're able to touch those that are sick, Lord, to raise them up. Lord, to heal those that are wounded in their spirits even, Lord. Father, we just place these needs in your hands, Lord, and ask that your will be done. Lord, we be certain to give you all the thanks and all the praise. Lord, we invite you to come now as we lift your name up in worship, Lord, to give you thanks. For you're worthy Lord of our praise and so much more We ask Lord that you have control of this service Lord use your servant this morning to speak to us Lord You know the needs of each one Lord and even those that are listening that wish they could be here Lord I pray that you would minister to them as well Father your hand is not too short Your timing is just right we're so thankful, Lord, for all that you do. We ask your blessings and give this time now into your hands, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Brother Jerry. You can have your seats. And we have some specials this morning, and I'd just like to say a personal word of thank you to those that came prepared this morning with a song. So uh, we're going to have Brother Keith sing a song for us and then Sister Sarah uh, if you'll be making your way quickly to the front there as, as they finish and then also we'll have Sister Lily Harwell Is she here today so Sister Lily if you'll uh, be making your way to the front after Sister Sarah's special we'd appreciate that Amen God bless you
3: they wasn't prepared for this that's for sure but that's the way I like it Sure, it's good to be here this morning. I, I told Jaron in the back. I said, uh, I asked him. I said, Are we going to run through a troop and leap over a wall this morning? I didn't know he was going to sing the song. I I said, I've got a whole lot of energy built up, a whole lot of spiritual energy. I'm just really looking forward to being here and um, come out here and uh, get too much energy going in my hands and get on the wrong track. And next thing you know, you're playing in the wrong key, but Got rid of all that nervous energy. Now I feel great. I just, I just want everybody to know that I have certainly missed you all so much. It is so good to look back and see all the faces. and I'm just looking forward to a time whenever we don't have to uh, say goodbye anymore. One thing's for certain, there's no virus, there's no government, there's no individual, no group that can keep us apart, that can keep our love for each other and our love for the Lord. I want to do this song uh we've never done this here together, so uh this is this will be just for y'all. We've done it at the house a couple of times, but I was just thinking i definitely this is my prayer now more than ever because uh I definitely need the Lord to keep me sanctified now more than than he ever has um, let's also do this for my for my sister Amber. She just, this is one of her favorites. So just keep me
4: sanctified. Lord, keep me sanctified when the storm clouds gather, when the battle gets rough. And always seemed so hard Lord, when I tried so hard When I've been such a failure Whatever I do Whatever I say Just keep me sanctified When the messenger came To old Job that evening And he said to Joe. All your children have died I can hear Job say Though God slay me, I'll trust Him Job lost everything he ever did gain But he stayed sanctified Lord, give me sanctified When the storm clouds gather when the battle gets rough and the oh, way seems so hard. Lord, when I tried so hard and when I've been such a failure, whatever I do, whatever I say, just keep me sanctified. He on this soul earth has ended, and I'll let rest by my sweet Savior's side. I'm going to praise His name forever and ever, for the way that He always stood by me and kept me sanctified. Lord, give me sanctified, when the storm clouds gather. When the battle gets rough, and oh, it seems so hard. And when I've tried so hard, when I've been such a failure, whatever I do. Whatever I say, just keep me sanctified, Lord, keep me sanctified when the storm clouds gather.
1: Sister Sarah is making her way there. We'll sing a little song. Keep your mind stayed on me.
0: Keep your mind, oh, stayed on me. Stay.
1: Sister Sarah, for that wonderful special. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to ask Sister Lily to come at this time. Amen. Let's sing a special for us. God bless you, Sister Lily.
5: Thank you for all the wonderful specials this morning. That's just really great, and uh, we welcome all of you in the house of the Lord this morning. Good to have all of you here today. We're going to have one more special. Mitchell's going to sing for us this morning, but uh, we want to make a couple of announcements. And if you could pull up my PowerPoint there uh, this morning, that would be great. Um, This morning, just as we begin. And uh, again, good to have all of you here today. It is uh, great to see the males here. Uh, again, we have missed you, and it's good to have you here today. And uh, Brother Mark, Jackie, Brother Ron, good to have you here. Sister Shirley, God bless you. Good to have you here. We certainly have been praying for you and your mom and all that situation. And um, just trust that the Lord will continue to undertake for you there. Um, we have several announcements here that we want to bring, and um, we want to uh, want to begin... Um, just making mention of a few things. And musicians, if you don't mind hanging on just a second, okay, we'll sing again. Um, we have a number of folks that are out today and for various reasons, and uh, we certainly miss them all, but we have a um, uh, number of folks who are streaming here today. If you were not here last Sunday, we gave out a Father's Day mug for all of our fathers And if you didn't get your Father's Day mug, they're in the lobby, right? So we want you to make sure you get your mug uh, this afternoon when you leave. Uh, We mentioned Sister uh, Amber. Her name was mentioned this morning. And her and Sister Shirley uh, are in South Carolina visiting with uh, her family, Sister Shirley's daughter there. And uh, we want to remember them in prayer, but especially Sister Amber. She had a treatment on her uh, spine uh, this week, and it's causing, she's been in a lot of pain. And we want to remember her in prayer, if you don't mind. Some other life changes that are happening that uh, uh, aggravate the whole situation. Uh, Also, as well, Sister Hannah Whitlock is not here today. The Whitlocks are working. And uh, I was asked to mention Sister Hannah. She's been having some episodes of passing out while she's been working uh, on her job in town, and it appears to be related to her heart condition. Uh, it's it's uh, already been, um, she's going to be having an appointment with her cardiologist on July 8th, and uh, they can't get in before then because of the uh, backup of appointments and so forth, so Uh, If you don't mind, we'd ask you to remember Sister Hannah. It's been difficult for her to wear a mask and to be able to work uh, during the day. And so we'd ask you to remember that need in prayer especially. That's a difficult thing for her. Uh, Good to have Aaron and Trish here. God bless you. Good to have you today. Uh, We appreciate you being here uh, with us. Sister Karen Pruitt uh, was also mentioned this morning. Uh, I had a note from Brother Tim just before it came out. Uh, this morning, and he said that she is um, improving and are very thankful for the improvement that she had. This is, I think, the third uh, instance where she had a brain bleed, and this one required surgery for her to go in, for the doctors to go in and remove the excess blood that was there. They're not exactly sure why that she's having these uh, bleeds, but uh, at this point, Brother Tim said that he was... um, Uh, in contact with the hospital this morning, and she's able to follow commands and she's able to move limbs. That's where she is, and it appears like she's trying to talk, trying to speak. And so Brother Tim asked us specifically if we could pray uh, that her speech comes back. And I told him that we surely would uh, do that this morning. We have a couple of birthdays as well uh, that we are uh, a little bit late on. And first one is the, well, last week was the birthday for Simona and Jonathan Walters. And uh, wish them all the best. June 28th is Ava Brown's birthday. How old is Ava going to be? Four years old. Wonderful. Ava Brown. July 1st is Arne Cross's birthday. Arne, how old are you going to be on July 1st? Twelve years old. Wow. That's amazing. I feel old. That's amazing. God bless you, Arne. Jan- July 3rd is Anna Pritchard's birthday and Peter Coffey's birthday. Both of them not here today. And uh, we wish them all the best on their birthdays. Now, I wanted to share just a little bit with you here uh, this morning. We have a lot that's happening uh, overseas. And I just wanted to show a couple of pictures uh, to you here. This is uh, Brother Davey Monza and uh, brother Davy is a pastor in Zambia, Central Africa. He's also the lead translator over there in Zambia. And uh he was he was so excited to see the books in print that he made a journey out into the jungle area and brought the uh, the books out with him. He wrote this note to me yesterday. He said I was in the jungle area today for evangelism and three people believed uh, and were baptized in the name of our Lord Jesus and many were delivered from demon possession. Feeling tired, driving, preaching, praying for the sick, God bless you for the great work to give the bride here the revealed word which gives her rapturing faith. I thought that was so neat, so he came back from uh, service and uh, came back from the the trip out in the jungle there and sent me a couple of pictures uh, and uh, you got to appreciate these folks and the, the colors and the uh, you know just the um, appreciation they have. You've got to understand, again, that for folks to have their own book and to have something in their language that, uh, you know, talks about the ministry and contains the word of the Lord, that's just a great blessing for these people over there. Um, this is one of those churches over in that area there, and uh, they're just so excited to be able to have the books here. And this is one of the churches out in the jungle. I don't know exactly what, uh, what name of the town that is, but uh, they were uh, just so excited to be out there and uh, to be able to be with the people. So uh, the last thing I wanted to say is that, uh, well, two things I wanted to say, and that is this. Brother Tom has his uh, knee replacement surgery coming up on this Tuesday. Uh, He was scheduled to have it a couple of weeks away, and they moved it up, and so he's going to be uh, doing that on Tuesday. He's been tested, and he's prepping for the surgery, and so they're not here today. And I want to say this, that I know Brother Tom's listening this morning, and uh, we sure appreciate Brother Tom and uh, his desire always is to be in church. And when he's not here, it's like a great big hole, uh, you know, when he's not around because he's just so faithful and uh, appreciate his work. He's a, a rock in the team, and uh, uh, just uh, we love Brother Tom and Sister Kim and the work that they do and the faithfulness. and. And we just appreciate them very much. So we just want to, if you don't mind, remember Brother Tom in prayer. Lord willing, also we'll have service on uh, Wednesday as well. We'll have it here in the assembly. Good to have the McGeary's here today. This is not expected, but uh, good to have them with us as well. Now, uh, as you know, the, uh, the situation in relation to the virus is increasing back again. It never got the note about taking a vacation for the summer. And allowing us all to get out and about, and uh, so it's it's becoming serious again. And um, as as you uh, as you have heard and know, there are several churches that are around us that are uh, closed, there are some brethren who are very sick, uh, ministers, some pastors who are uh, hospitalized, uh, not only here and in South Carolina, but also spread out in Florida and Arizona, and especially. Uh, And so forth. And so, uh, as you as you are aware, uh, you know the the government is uh, reacting to all of that and uh, making masks mandatory. And I think that's going to be a part of our future. Uh, It's going to be the way things are going to be. Uh, There's no exclusion for churches in terms of wearing masks. And uh, they've left that. We we know that law enforcement's not going to come into the church and arrest everybody if you're not wearing a mask. I get an exemption because I'm preaching, so it's really difficult to preach with a mask. And uh, so I get an exemption anyway for that part of it. But uh, in terms of the uh, assembly, uh, it may come to the place where we have to do that. And, and again, uh, we we certainly want to protect everybody. We want to protect the vulnerable. Uh, Also, as well, we want to, um, you know, minimize uh, opportunities for the virus to spread. But we know it's also challenging to be in the service uh, with the mask on. And and yet, uh, if we can do what, whatever we can do to uh, keep church open and be able to have a, an assembling like this, we certainly want to do it because we would rather do this than to go back to streaming again. We will if we have to. Uh, we have to make the best of our situation and trust that the Lord will uh, help us. But I'm thankful that... At, up to this point, we've uh, been able to have church and been able to have it here. Ethan and Anna are here, and God bless you and your upcoming birthday. Um, so th- this is a, a concern of ours, and uh, I've not spoken to everybody individually. I've spoken to some, and some of you have expressed your concerns in different, way, different ways to me. And uh, everyone is naturally, we all have... Uh, different circumstances, like if you have elderly people in your household or, uh, you know, any kind of compromise in terms of health and, you know, we think differently about the virus for sure. But uh, I'm just, uh, I, what I'd like to do is just ask you a question and get your feedback uh, on that question. And I don't want you to answer it here in the moment, but uh, I wanted to ask you as an assembly, and we'll do this by a show of hands here in just a moment here. but. Would you be more comfortable if everyone wore a mask in church? I know that in several states now, it's it's required. They have to do it. Like in Virginia, they have to do it while they're in, in church. Uh, and so I wanted to get your response to that. And if you don't mind, uh, if everyone would bow your heads for a minute and just give me a show of hands. That's all I'm af- asking. Would you be more comfortable if everybody wore masks in the church? If you agree with that, just give me your, raise your hand. All right, thank you. <clears throat> we, um, we're just certainly, um, like I say, just trying to do the very best we can under the circumstances here to try to um, navigate through this as, as best we possibly can. And uh, certainly, uh, certainly, it's not easy. Because uh, you know things change. We we make a decision. We decide certain things, and then by the time you roll around the Wednesday night, things are different again. Uh, Again, what we want to do is try to keep our doors open as much as we can, as long as we can. Uh, But uh, you know, if we have to go back to it, then we'll certainly do it and make the most of uh, you know the the options that we have in order to be able to assemble. I think every assembly in the country, from what I hear and talk to the pastors. Every assembly has lost some momentum you know, because we move along at a certain pace and we have certain activities and we have gatherings and Sunday school and young people and all the other things that are going on, men's meetings. It, it's, it's hard to plan and forecast anything these days. And I think as a result of that, every assembly has felt the loss of that continuity that we, that we had built up. And you kind of don't even notice that until it stops. And then when it stops, you realize, my goodness, uh, you know, we've, we've lost a little something. I don't have any doubt at all that we'll, uh, we'll build back up that momentum when we get back to doing things in a normal way. But, uh, you know, there are times, too, when God shakes things up and he has his own reasons for that. Uh, it's, it's important for all of us to be sensitive to, as to how, you know, the, the Lord would have us proceed from this place forward. And we want to follow his leading for sure. Uh, you know, we appreciate the, the state and, and all the, uh, the medical uh, issues that uh, are, are certainly important out there. Uh, but we also want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as well and uh, do our very best in the circumstances. So be patient with me. Uh, we're trying to do all we possibly can. Well, Mitchell, if you're ready, we're going to have Mitchell sing and then we're going to sing a, a chorus and we'll get right into the word this morning.
6: And there's a place where mercy rains And never dies And there's a place Where streams of grace Flow deep and wide Where I've ever found Comes like a flood Comes flowing down Oh, at the cross, at the cross I surrender my life I'm in all surrender my life Surrender my life. I'm in all of you. I'm in all of you. And where your love ran red, and my sin wash white, I owe. cross I surrender my life I'm in
1: Brother Mitchell, wonderful special. As your pastor gets ready to break the bread of life, amen. Why don't we stand this morning and sing? Amen. Do you love him? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's sing that song, God Will Make a Way. God will make a way
5: presence this morning and thank you for your love and your mercy to us. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have to be able to come together, Lord, in spirit and in truth, without fear, without hesitation, Lord, to be able to assemble in your name and to be able to worship you, Lord, with the saints of like precious faith. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the word this morning. Pray that you would bring every spirit, including my own, Lord, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you would direct everything that happens, Lord, from this point forward. And, Lord, that you would just come and take complete control. Father, may nothing we have done or said, may, Lord, it hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit today. Nothing, Lord, that we have done or said, Lord, may it just prevent a blessing from flowing to the people today. Lord Jesus, we just give you this time. We reserve this hour for you and ask, Lord, as you would just come and just break the bread of life among us. We feel comforted by your presence, and we welcome you today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you will, and let's go directly to the church. And uh, we'll take a reading there this morning. Thank you, musicians and special singers and everybody uh, this morning. I hate having to talk about the, the virus thing and, you know, the different uh, restraints that are put upon us. We are a people who love to be together. We love to worship and uh, without any barriers or whatever else. Um, but it's 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 something that we all just have to deal with. So we, uh, we just want to do our very best. We want to look in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and we want to... Read in verse, beginning at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And all things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself, by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. I want to draw your attention to the, to the word reconciliation and the idea that it conveys and how important it is to, to Paul as he writes this here. So this, this reconciliation was God's aim or goal through Christ to reconcile mankind back to himself. But he didn't stop there. He has given the ministry of reconciliation to us. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's very much a repeat of the previous verse. 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. So he affirms the commission. That we are, we have the ministry of reconciliation, but an ambassador is one who goes in the name of another. And verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. May the Lord at his blessing you may be seated today. Now, uh, I appreciated the, uh, the response that we had towards that subject of, of fatherhood uh, last, last Sunday. And uh, we want to... Uh, we want to just continue on that vein a little bit because I only got through part of the way uh, in, in terms of dealing with that subject, and of course it's a very important and a very broad subject, and uh, we, we want to just continue a little bit today and just broaden it again uh, this morning. Uh, You know, I'm thankful for uh, the ability that we have to be able to communicate and and to know what's taking place. We want to, I always enjoy and appreciate knowing what's on your hearts and the concerns that you have. Uh, I also had a note this morning from Brother Ron Spencer, and uh, Brother Ron is still undergoing treatment and everything else. But uh, despite all the things that he's going through, he's he's preaching this morning in his church. And uh, so I told him, I said, you know, if I could, I'd love to be there. He said, love to have you. But uh, he said, I know you have responsibilities this morning, but I'm glad uh, that he has the strength to be able to do that this morning. Can everybody say amen? Amen. All right. Now, so far, the folks on the phone are louder than the folks in the assembly here. All right? They're winning. I just want you to know that. So we want you to just outdo those folks over there, okay? And uh, and we appreciate all of our folks who are streaming and listening here, and we certainly miss everybody who's not here today. uh, But uh, we certainly understand. Alright. <clears throat> Last week we talked, uh, using the scripture in Proverbs chapter 24 that uh, through wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. We're gonna deal specifically with that knowledge this morning. A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. In the uh, interpretation of the Hebrew, it, it means that a, a man who is, is wise is more formidable than a man who has a great big army. That's the idea that's conveyed. So when it comes to uh when it comes to who's gonna win, my, my one of my grandsons came to me and said, We have a book home uh called Who Would Win? And it's a book of contests, uh pictures of contests between animals. So he says, Who's gonna win, right? Who's gonna win between uh, a polar bear and a brown bear? Like who's gonna win the battle? And the whole imagine a whole book. That deals with that subject. Who's going to win between a snake and a mongoose or whatever else? Who's going to win between a man who has wisdom and a man who has a great army? A man who has great wisdom is going to win the battle more often than a man who has a great army. Because this is about more than just natural strength. This is more about tapping into the wisdom or the mind of God to be able to know what we should do, especially in the season that we're in, especially in the time that we're in. Hey, you have to realize that for such a time as this, God chose you to live. With all the unique challenges and circumstances that we face and all of the different, uh, you know, hurdles that we have to cross over in order to get to the finish line, this is really quite a, an interesting and a challenging hour that we live in. But you know what? God made the decision to place you here and not some other age. And God chose to place you here and not some other person. He wanted you to be here to tap into the wisdom of God and to have the mind of Christ that you might know exactly what it is that you need to do in the hour that we live. So it's important for us to understand something. And uh, I wanted to share this. I've shown you this uh, this uh, screen before, but I want to highlight this quote here this morning for you. Uh, Brother Branham said in the Feast of the Trumpets, "We'll walk in the light, the beautiful light, one step at a time. Lord, coming closer to Him." Yeah, he said, "Children of the light, accept His word and keep walking, and watch more unfold." That 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 there's a lot of little, little lessons here and things that we could t- uh, stop on we know that we don't know what the future holds. We only get enough light to take one step at a time. But that light is enough for us to be able to be successful and to overcome in that step we take, right? Right? Don't leave it. No matter what somebody else says, my goodness, that's good advice for today, isn't it? You certainly don't want to leave the light. You don't want to leave the path that God's ordained for us today in our, in our time that we live in. Stay right in that. Just keep walking with it and watch it unfold and reveal itself. The Word is a seed, and a seed in the right kind of ground will bring forth. So the Word itself has the power within it not only to unfold and reveal itself. In other words, that the right amount of light will show up at the right time when you need to make another step. But number two, there is a light for this day. Are you thankful? There's a light for this day. There's a light for this hour that gives the bride of Christ what they have need of to know what they should be doing in, at, every, at every turn of the road. At every, at every juncture, we know what we need to do because God provides the light for that hour. Every age gets a light. Every age gets a messenger. Every age gets a message from God. And and we're able to tap into the mind of God. So in other words, God placed you here, but didn't place you without resources. He placed you with everything you have need of to be able to navigate through the darkness of the times we live in. And that's not something that we should take lightly. That is God's provision. That's God uh, interceding on your behalf, knowing the kinds of circumstances we would face, and then providing for you ahead of time exactly what we'd have need of at that hour. All right? So that's what he's actually doing, and that's what you're experiencing today. Hey, listen, based on, our, based on the circumstances around us, we don't know what tomorrow holds. I mean, it's very difficult for, for us to plan or predict a week or a month ahead, I've been laboring for about a month here about, uh, you know, dealing with the men's meeting, and we've been talking about the winter youth retreat and all the other uh, events that normally happen here. And it's just really, really hard to try to predict, well, uh, you know, by the end of the summer, everything will be okay. By the fall, everything will be all right. It's really hard to do that. And so you're, tap, you're trying to tap into the mind of God. So he does not leave us defenseless. He does not leave us without resources. He provides the resources that we have need of. We just need to get in tune with him in order to find out what he would have us to do because God knows the future as well as we know the present. All right, so even though we don't know the future, we know that uh, God does, and so therefore we tap into that, we associate with that, and that brings us to the place of safety. And so this is the idea that Brother Ram's uh, conveying here to us. We don't have the, uh, we don't have it? All right, now, I, I wanted to just, just very quickly, very basically review this scripture that we talked about last Sunday, that uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in his ministry to the saints there, We were gentle among you, even as a nurse, Cherisheth her children. This is the imagery that Paul is conveying to the uh, to the children to the believers in that hour. We were gentle among you. Our attitude among you was as a nurse. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Our desire was to come and minister to you. Now, you got to remember, the church in Thessalonica was under great persecution. They were under great stress. They were under great difficulty. And uh, times were very difficult for them. So Paul and the other ministry came there to help and impart things to them, not only the right teaching. And not only the correction that was needed, but also uh, to be able to impart other, thank you, other attributes, other things that uh, they could benefit from. I, I talked about, uh, you know, the idea of fathers imparting something to their children. Fathers giving something to their sons and daughters and to lending to their household. Uh, a real father desires to give all that he has to his children and his household. For instance, today, children need a good scale of values. They need to know on the, on the scale what's right and what's wrong. How much emphasis should we put on something? How much can we ignore something? And so giving a sense of priority is one of the things that you can impart to your children. I think it's a very important thing. How to make good decisions. When we're, when we're in a spot where we can do two things, uh, in response to a question that we have, how do we know How to make that decision and go one way versus the other. Because very often when, when you're, uh, when you're going to make a decision, uh, inevitably something else pops up that gives you an alternative. I, I, I don't know about you, but I find that happens often. And so then all of a sudden you're faced with a fork in the road, right? I mean, you know, goodness, I gotta make a decision one way or the other, but now I have two equally good choices. What should I do? The courage to stand alone, I think, is a great thing to impart to your children. To not be afraid to stand on your own two feet based on the Word of God because it is the Word of God. For no other reason, but because God's Word says so, that's a great thing for children to understand, is that they have a courage. Like if you have a daughter, and uh, everybody around uh, her is cutting her hair, to teach that daughter why we stand. Because the Bible says, not because it's mom and dad's rule, but because the Bible says a certain thing, that's the reason that she should stand. And then she can count on the fact that when she stands for the right thing, for the right, uh, for the right purpose, then God will honor that stand. And I believe that God still honors that kind of of a stand the techniques of security the the question and the discussion of security I think is an important thing how we are going to defend our, our household from the uh, from Sodom around us how we're going to def- defend ourselves uh, how we are going to respond to the uh, threats of a society that we live in and to be secure uh, in our household how to handle finances all of these things are good things to impart would you you would you agree how to handle finances in our time. Uh it, it's, it's just uh, an increasingly uh challenging question. Uh it, it is one that all of us have to deal with whether you have a lot or a little, all of us have to answer the questions, all of us have to uh to deal with that. I think it's a great thing to impart those things onto your uh your children and uh, knowing that they will eventually have the stewardship as well of a real income and handle real uh the you know real consequences of their decisions. Well exercised sense of humor and playfulness. I think it's really important. I remember, uh, you know, in all of our phases of growing up and with boys, it was, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time horsing around, fooling around. Uh, you know, I mean, boys are boys. I mean, they're just, they're just boys. I remember, uh, we, uh, one time we were, uh, when we lived in Ohio and all of our boys were little, uh, if I wanted to entertain them for like five, six hours at a stretch, and my wife appreciated this. I could just give, take a bucket of nails with me and, and give every one of them a hammer. And they all had their own hammers, even the little ones. Uh, but they all had their own hammer. And I would say to them, hey guys, we're going to build something. And I just, uh, I pre this and just, you know, build a little structure, put a piece of plywood down and say, I need this nailed. My goodness, five or six hours. They would just nail away and nail away. So much so that you couldn't lift it after it was done, you know, with all the nails that were in it and uh, uh you know we just had lots of fun and lots of lots of different things that we did and and uh spent time together and got out in in nature got out in the wilderness and did things went through uh things like boy scout pre-gay boy scouts and went out and did things and 4H and uh my wife was was uh, invaluable in all of that and and helping out and we we went through it together as a family our our, our family motto was is that if we all couldn't do it, if we all couldn't do it we weren't going to do it so if we were going to be in scouts, we were all going to be in scouts. If we were going to be in 4-H, we were all going to be in 4-H. We were all going to be a part of it and participate in it. And that way we had not only uh, the boys involved in certain things, but also that we had a little bit of an oversight of what really went on. And, and that was a kind of a nice nice thing for us. We had real good, fun experiences doing that. You've got to be very careful, and you've got to be very selective about what you're involved in today. It's not the same as it was even 20, 25 years ago, and so you had to be careful about that. But to have a well-exercised sense of humor is a very good thing because otherwise you'd go nuts. Uh, number seven, hard work and responsible diligence. Let me tell you, it's something that's failing in our world. And to find young people that have a sense of purpose, dedication, and the willingness to complete a task, that's a very, very uh, commendable thing to have. And so when Paul talks about imparting uh, things to the church, he's talking about not only giving the right doctrine, or right teaching to the church, but also giving his heart to the people, to give his, his wisdom, to give his knowledge and experience to the people so that they can know and they can uh, benefit from uh, the experiences that he's had. And he said, sorry, this is the book of James here. Uh, He says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good uh, conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And this wisdom that comes from above, he said, it descendeth not from, uh, sorry. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. I'm just reducing the scripture a little bit here for space. The wisdom that descends not from above, in other words, it comes from the other side, is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. There's a mind working, but that mind is not working toward the kingdom of God. It is not promoting the things that the Bible speaks about, okay? It's not inspired by the Holy Spirit, okay? That's for sure. But the wisdom that is from above is different. It's going to produce different results. It's going to act differently, going to cause you to act differently. It's going to be peaceable, pure, gentle, easy to be entreated. It's going to be easy to be entreated. In other words, somebody who really has a sense of what's going on is teachable. They're going to be approachable. They're going to be a person you can go to and say, all right, hey, listen, we got a problem. We need to sit down and talk about it. And they're not going to fly up and scratch your eyeballs out and all the rest of it. They're going to want to know because they trust the source of where that wisdom is coming from. And they've got a sense of it themselves. They know that, uh, you know, God's, God cares about my life. God cares about the direction I'm going in. And so, therefore, I'm willing to sit and listen. I may not always agree, but I'm willing to sit and listen and to hear things out and then consider it. Wisdom from above uh, is full of mercy, is full of good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Let me give you an example of that wisdom from above. In First Kings chapter uh, 3, it tells the story of Solomon and how the two women came to him. And he says, Then came here two women, and they were harlots unto the king, and they stood before him. And each one of them got a time to express their, uh, their complaint. One woman said, Oh, my Lord, I and this woman travail in one house. And I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered that this woman was delivered also. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house save two in the house. This is probably the most difficult kind of a situation where you have no eyewitnesses. Both of them are making contradictory statements. And we have nothing really except one living baby and one dead baby and two women telling a different story. And Solomon now has got to come up with an answer for this, right? He's got to come up with pro- uh, an answer to the problem. And so if you don't mind, <clears throat> let me, wow, this has a mind of its own. Take your Bible. Let's go back and look at the rest of the passage here. First Kings chapter 3. I really like this, this example here. Uh, and I want to I use it a little bit up the road here. But let's go back in 1 Kings chapter 3, just so you have the, the place in your, your own Bible here. 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 16, that's where we begin to read. <clears throat> verse 19, this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me. And while that handmaid slept, laid it on her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, the living is my son. And thus they spake before the king. How would you like to be an attorney in that situation? My goodness. That must be a difficult thing for for someone to face. All right, so here they are now, and King Solomon has got a decision to make, and and he approaches it this way based on his observation of human nature. It says in 23, And then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead, and the other saith, Nay, but thy son is, is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Uh, Divide the living child in two, and give half the one, and half to the other. And then spake the woman, whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide now, this must have been quite a dramatic scene. I mean, it, it would have had everybody's attention because it was, it was dramatic enough that this mother cried out. In other words, there had to be a soldier at the ready with a sword, just about ready to do this. I mean... This was as as close as Abraham with the uh, knife in his hand going after Isaac on top of the mountain there and him laying on the altar. So this must have been the moment when this woman realized, wow, this is going to happen and I'm going to lose my son. And so she stops the, the, the king right there and says, no, let the child live because we don't want to see that child uh, to die. And then spake, sorry, let's go down uh, to 27. And then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, and they saw the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. In our reading, Paul writes, God was a reconciler to bring harmony back, to deal with the sin question and bring harmony back between God and man, right? And in order to do that, he had to intercede. Even if it cost him his life, he was willing to intercede. In order to accomplish reconciliation, there had to be some sort of sacrifice that went on. And here we find that same spirit here where the woman is actually willing to lose her son to see her to see that son live. I'm willing. I'm willing to intercede here and, and to, to give my son life. And in order to keep him going, I'm willing to lose him because it's inevitable that he's not going to live if that soldier has his way. And so she jumps in in that place to intercede for his life, even if she's going to lose the child. Give it to the other woman. But listen, don't let that child die. I'm going to jump in here and intercede for it. That ministry of reconciliation has been given to the church. And I'll tell you what, the greatest place it's expressed is in parenthood. Now, let's go a little further here. I love this little illustration here. Brother Branham says in the message, Perseverance. Little doubt, he said, no, David was, ra- David was raised in a lovely believing home. His father, Jesse, a great man of God. No doubt gathered all those boys around at night, had family prayer before they went to bed, probably read the scrolls, talked about great Jehovah, how he had opened the Red Sea, and a great prophet Moses had brought them out following the pillar of fire and all these things. That's one whole sentence. I don't know about you, but when it comes down to the list of great men of God, I would not have put Jesse right up there on the top of the list, really, when you think about it. Because do you know of anything that Jesse ever did? Jesse was the father of David. Do you know, I mean, did Jesse uh, open the Red Sea? Or did Jesse speak something into existence? Or did Jesse do any great miracles? We don't know of anything that he did. He may have, but we don't know of any of it, at, at least listed. But here's a prophet calling Jesse a great man of God because he did one thing. He was given the king of Israel. He was given as a father to the future king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. And if David was a man after God's own heart, God would have chosen carefully over who his father was. Because he would want to have David influenced in a certain way. We know that fathers have a great influence over their families, right? Right? Like it or not, fathers have a great influence on what the children are going to be. And God knowing that, He would have had to take great care to make sure who David's father actually was. Because David was going to be a, you know, a very central person in all of the history of Israel and He was going to do great things, great exploits. We know a lot about David. We know very little about Jesse. Here's Brother Branham filling in the brushstrokes and he says He was a great man of God. Great man of God, and the only thing that we know he did, the only thing really that we can tell from this is that he gathered his boys around after supper before bedtime and said, let me tell you a story, what do you want to hear? Oh, dad, hey, let's hear the one about Moses in the Red Sea, or let's hear about what about Moses or about Abraham up on top of the mountain with the dagger, or let's hear about the story about the Garden of Eden, and those boys, a bunch of them, they must all look forward to the evening time when Jesse would sit down in his big easy chair and pull out his scroll and tell one of those stories. And the boys would go to bed, just like little guys, and go to bed with their eyes wide open, and they'd think about that story and what a great man Joshua was and what a great man Gideon was and all the great victories that they had. I mean, boys love blood, guts, gore, uh, killing, swords, stones, mountains falling apart, uh, red seas. Girls like, you know, when... Uh, when when the uh, Boaz comes in and, you know, rides off into the sunset and everyone's happily married. That's a different kind of a story altogether, a different kind of a nature. But Jesse had a bunch of boys, and so he was often willing probably to add details. It's too bad he didn't have Goliath to talk about and how far that rock actually went in and what happened when they pulled that rock out and how he cut his head off with a sword. Too bad Jesse didn't have that story. I mean... You you get the picture. Jesse's considered a great man of God because he had that kind of influence on his son David. In other words, he invested. He took the time personally to talk to those boys and about the pillar of fire. That created faith. Faith comes by hearing. David got to thinking about that. As any little boy would, David got to imagining what it would be like to be in those kinds of battles and to do great exploits for his God. And, you know, to, to realize, hey, I'm an Israelite just like Moses was. And I'm an Israelite just like Gideon was. And I, I'm an Israelite just like Shamgar. And how did he have 600 Philistines there? And he looked at that crowd of Philistines coming and he looked back at his family, his what Brother Branham said, his scrawny wife and children. And didn't have enough money to buy shoes for him. And the money for those new shoes was out in the field in the harvest there. And Brother Branham said he looked out in the, at, at the crowd of Philistines and looked back. And he said he looked back again. And that crowd of Philistines got smaller and they got bigger. He looked again and they got smaller and they got bigger. And he looked again and they got smaller and he got bigger. And he took his he took his spear and he walked out there and slew 600 of those Philistines. David said, now that's... It's my kind of my kind of Bible character, and 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 you can imagine now for him. You know, being out there, not only having that 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 inspiration given to him, but it, his own experiences of being out there and his father and him with the sheep and the and, and the herd and the livelihood, and he's out there and the bear comes and the line comes and he's out there. He's acting out what he's heard. He's acting out what he's what he's listened to all those years, and he takes that stone and goes after that bear and uh, you know kills it and so forth. And, and you know, David is David is developing faith muscles course he was the smallest they put him out to watch a few sheep one day a lion came in and got one he thought now what am i going to say to my father about the sheep missing and he recalled my father read the scrolls and told me god was a great god to deliver his people and he would bless israel and, and was with israel and all that circumcised and in the covenant and i'm one of them i'm one of them and god's blessing is upon me and i have a right and one of his father's sheep, now remember now, this is where this is going on, it's right here. And I have a right, because I'm a child of God. And one of my father's sheep is gone, and I'm going after that sheep. And he grabbed up his little slingshot. I'm not sure when's the last time you've actually fought a lion. Uh, some of you young guys that are here, you're all sitting there saying, I'm one of them, I'm one of them, I'd sure do it. The other day, my wife and I were taking a little side trip, and we were out of town. And uh, here we are driving down this little side road, quiet, peaceful place. And we notice everybody in front of us have got their cameras stuck out the window. Everybody's got their camera put out there. And they're stopped. They're getting out of their cars in a hurry. And they've got their cameras pointed. And they're videoing. And they're, they're taking pictures. And it doesn't dawn on us, oh, something must be happening. It doesn't dawn on us until we get up there and I started to look around and I thought, whoa, whoa. There was a black bear, double the size of Brother Brian here, and that big black bear was just, you know, uh, I don't know, 30 feet or so, or maybe five feet for the story, evangelistically speaking. And... Here, here he is. No wonder everybody's got their phone out. So we're trying to get, get your phone out, get your phone out, because that's the first response everybody has today, right? It's your phone out. And so we caught a picture of the tail end of that bear just going over to the top of the hill. And, uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of black bears in my life. That was a whopper. I mean, he was quite a whopper. And it, there's there's something about looking at a black bear picture in a book or on a website and being five feet from one. Maybe six feet. There's a, there's a different feeling you get when you're that close to an animal in the wild. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you have a, an instinctual response and you draw back because, you know, man, you don't want to have to deal with that rascal. I mean, that was a big bear. And then if there's little cubs around, that big bear just gets a whole lot bigger because they don't, wanna, they don't want you around where they are. And, uh, uh, you know, I was just thinking to myself, you know, as I was reading down through this quote, here's David, and he's looking at this, he, he's, he hears the sounds, and, he's, and he looks over and here's a bear that's going after one of his sheep. And they would, you know, circle a herd and get one of those sheep, out on its own like that apart from the rest of the crowd and, and, go, and all of a sudden going after it. And rather than, rather than back away from that and say, well, you know, 99 minus 1, 100 minus 1 is only 99, so dad will never know the difference. Dad will never count him. He doesn't do that. He takes up, picks up a rock and he goes after that bear. I mean, that's what it says here. He's either nuts, or he's got confidence that he's a child of God and the protective hand of almighty God's going to be on him no matter what he does. Now I'll tell you something else that David David will experience later on. I mean this serves him well because later on a prophet comes to him and anoints him with oil and tells him he's going to be the next prophet, next king of Israel, right? And and with that anointing, David's got a fearlessness because he knows that even if he dies in battle, even if he dies going after Goliath, God's going to have to raise him up again because he's got a promise by a prophet that he's going to be the next king of Israel. He's got that. Where did he get that kind of faith? It came from the littler experiences that he had back here, which he learned, which he got the basis of or the foundation of from his father sitting around at nighttime when David's still wearing pajamas that are one piece, and he's listening to his father and saying, Wow! And he's mine. Wow! And he would bless Israel, and he was with Israel. That's what Brother Branham says. And he says, one of my father's sheep is gone, and he grabbed that little slingshot, brought that sheep back by killing the lion. He was perseverant. What was God doing? He was training him. What was God doing? He gave him a father who was willing to invest in the training of his son in the building of faith. As he's going to use that well up the road, God knows what we have need of, doesn't he? God knows what we have need of, and He gives them a sense of perseverance here that I'm going to go after them, and I'm not going to back away. Let me tell you, it's not just automatic that your children have all of these attributes and qualities that are desirable. They have them because they see them and experience them by example in the lives of people they trust. One day, he and his brothers took his brothers something to eat, and it was a Goliath there boasting, and perhaps David looked at him and looked to see who was the largest man in the army. It was Saul, leader, head and shoulders above the rest. And why doesn't he go out there, he thought. I imagine he was thinking, my father, I know that if you care that much for them lambs out there, how much do you care for your people that are called by your name? And now they're in conflict, afraid. And he got very perseverant now. Very perseverant comes from the foundation of perseverant. Perseverance comes from the foundation of faith. Faith comes by hearing. Where did it all begin? It began with Dad, gathering him around and saying, Hey, boys, got a story for you tonight. It's a good one. You never heard this one. And he got very perseverant and he took out after Goliath with his slingshot and won the victory. Why? He believed in all that God was trying to achieve. He believed in all, what he was trying to achieve. It was in the will of God, in the word of God, in the plan of God. What David is trying to achieve is not outside the plan of God. So he's got instilled in him a confidence in the plan of God. And if it is the plan of God, God's gonna honor it, God's gonna back it, God's gonna bless it, God's gonna pour himself out upon it. That's the way, that's what David knew. And David knew that because his father assured him of that, that every man who ever did an exploit on behalf of God did it because it was a part of the plan of God. Are we okay? I'm being being extraordinarily simple here, but I think the point is is certainly worth mentioning. Now, we we find another example of fatherhood here, and and this is Job, and Brother Branham tells us in this little story here, uh, Job is kind of a complicated book in one sense, but this part of it is not, that all of his friends had forsaken him. He was broken out in boils and everything. All of Job's friends forsook him because... You know the old expression, where there's smoke, there's fire. You know that expression? Let me assure you of something, it's not biblical. And they, they assume they made the assumption, that if, if Job's got this much trouble, there had to be some sort of trouble in his life, or secret sin, or something that he did to anger God, because all, all these kinds of things are, are truly uh, the hand of God in judgment against a person. And you know what? They were all wrong. They were all wrong. And the, uh, the, the quote goes on to say, I felt so sorry for the old fellow. And then uh, how the Lord turned around and blessed him because he lived to the best of his knowledge under the burnt sacrifice. Hey, let me tell you something. If a man is righteous, God does never forsake him. I mean, if, if, if God takes back every form of judgment, then God would have had to raise Judas up after he hung himself. But he didn't do it. Right? Or he would have let Balaam come back and hold a revival for the children of Israel, and he didn't do it. So when we find here with Job, uh, God allowed certain things to happen to him to try Job and approve him, but then turn around and gave him a greater blessing even later on in his life. That's not the judgment of God. And he went and he got his children and he made a sacrifice and said they might have sinned secretly, they, and they didn't know it. Now, you remember what I told you before about that verse that when you go back and look in the Hebrew language there, uh, it suggests that uh, Job may have uh, offered the offerings that he did because of a spirit of entitlement that may get a hold of his children. That they feel like, you know what, hey, we're the sons of Job, we're blessed, we're prospered, we have a great family heritage and a great big fat will that's coming our, our way one day, and so therefore we don't need to be as, uh, you know, as, as astute. We don't need to be as serious about serving God, because after all, our father's a prophet, and uh, God speaks to him, and so forth, we really don't need to worry. And there's a spirit of entitlement that can creep in the people who've been around it long enough and feel like, You know what? God's going to bless me. I've never smoked a day in my life. I've been raised in the message and uh, been around the prophet's message all my life. And so therefore, you know what? I'm good. I don't I don't really need to get serious with God. I can see Brother Barry is and Brother Branham was and all these other people are. So therefore, I really don't need to get that serious. I can kind of play around and do what I want. And you, what you have is a spirit of entitlement that makes you feel like I'm going to be blessed because I've, I've only be, attended HBT and I've only been around the message all my life. And so therefore, uh, God's going to favor me automatically. And Job knew that that kind of a spirit is not a good spirit for a young person to have. And so he offered sacrifices continually to these children, even though they had not sinned, but they might have. It's an amazing thing, really. And how he was a real father, and God gave him all those children back at the end. Now, I, I, need, you to, I need you to catch this idea of intercession here again. Here's Job interceding for his children, even if they had not sinned. Job's got enough of the Spirit of God in him that even if his children had not sinned, he's making intercession for them anyway because he knows it's better for them never to be out of favor with God. Never to be out of line with God. And he's got that much of compassion and a sense of intercession about him that he does not want to fall, for his children to fall out of favor. So I'm going to make sure there are sacrifices Heaped up for them in case something, uh, some wrong attitude or some wrong idea gets in their hearts. Because you know what? Later on, the sons of Samuel had the same spirit of entitlement on them. You remember them? You remember the sons of Samuel uh, and, and the sons of Eli? And, uh, you know, they were the sons that took over the priesthood after Eli died and so forth. And they had all these uh, rigged sacrifices and all the profitable things were coming their way. You know why? Because my dad's a high priest and my dad's a prophet. And you know what? Corruption had set in. And you don't automatically become blessed by God because you're the son of a good man. And when you fall into that trap and you fall, in, fall victim of that spirit of entitlement, let me tell you, it's hard for you to even identify that because it's such a subtle thing. And you would think naturally, well, God's going to bless our household because my dad's there. Let me tell you something. God will bless your place of business. God will bless your hospital. God will bless your school because you're there. There's a blessing that rests on the children of Israel. Hey, remember the house of Edom when the, when the Ark of the Covenant was taken there? His house was blessed for years after that. Because the Ark of the Covenant was there. You remember Potiphar's house. Potiphar bought Joseph as a slave. And you're not supposed to say that now. But he bought him as a slave. And his household is blessed. Like the man who came to Brother Branham and said, Brother Branham, let me show you my vineyards. Let me show you my great business out in California. And Brother Branham looked at all of it and, you know, nodded his head. I've told you before. And, uh, you know, acknowledged all of it. And he said, yes, it's really great. But he said, God bless this not because of you, but because of your father and the great things he did for the kingdom. So this son inherited the blessing because this whole thing was blessed because of what his father's, uh, his father's exploits were on behalf of the kingdom. So then you can see how easily and how subtly this spirit of entitlement would get on people and feel like, well, we've been in a message a long time, and you know what, God's going God's to gonna look after us and God's going to bless us. We don't need to, be, need to be that honest and we don't need to be that zealous and we don't need to be that uh, dedicated to God. I mean, after all, we're predestinated. And Brother Barry's talking about the genes of God and all this other stuff here. So you know what, you can't change your genes. I mean, I mean whether anybody likes it or not. Let me tell you, if you're in, you're going to have a certain attitude of thankfulness, number one. You're going to rather sing Amazing Grace than, you know, um, uh, you know shake your fist in the, in the face of God and say, I can do what I want. I'm in the family. I can do what I want. I wouldn't do that. But here's Job as a father. And this is the father's heart. And when you see this kind of thing, what you're looking at is a reflection of a man who's in tune with God, and therefore he's reflecting the actual image that God has given to him to want to intercede and want to see the very best thing happen for his children. In case, just in case, there's something wrong. Paul takes this theme and brings it over into the New Testament in a very important way. He says, if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house. He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. I've, I've quoted this scripture to you before. This is kind of a pretty strong language, really, because Paul is not talking about if a man does not bring home the bacon. He's not talking about if a man doesn't bring home a paycheck. Because there's a lot of people who don't have a paycheck who don't deny the faith. Right? There's a lot of people who maybe have lost their jobs. They're not able to you know, be as, as skilled provider maybe as they would even like to be. But that doesn't mean that they're worse than an infidel. I mean, what, do you, what, do you, what can you imagine as worse than an infidel? An infidel is somebody who doesn't believe that God exists. It's like the guy I told you before, I think they found a tombstone one time back in England, and, it's, and it simply said there was a, a doctor who had died, and he didn't believe in God at all. He, he denied the existence of God all of his life. And when he died, they dressed him up and put him in a coffin. And when they came to his tombstone, they didn't know what to put there. So they put his name and the dates he lived. And then they just put a little inscription and said, all dressed up and nowhere to go. I mean, an infidel, in a sense, is, uh, how hopeless can you get, you know, to, to, to have somebody who doesn't believe in the existence of God at all? And Paul equates an infidel... And somebody who's a denier of the faith with somebody who doesn't provide for his house. Well, we've got to understand the meaning of some of these words. Here they are. The word provide is, is a, a Greek word which means to foresee, to think ahead, to provide for one because there's going to be something coming. It's like what you would do with a savings account. You save money because you know you're going to have your daughter's wedding, or you're going to have, uh, I was telling somebody the other day, that if we wore masks in church, we'd probably get some of these girls married off faster. But nonetheless, if you know something's coming, you'll foresee it. If you, uh, If you take thought of a thing like college education, right? Your kids are in grade school, but if you're saving for college education, because you know it's coming up the road. You don't have the need yet. Now we've mentioned this many times in the Old Testament. This is exactly the same thing. Proverbs 22: A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, or prepares himself. So a farmer knows that the spring is coming, so he's going to hold back a portion of his seed. Now let me just go back for a moment here to this definition here. So to provide for his own, especially those of his own household, means that he's going to take care for certain things uh, among his household, among his children. Uh, because the need is certainly there, or the need is going to be there, and so we're going to provide for this knowing what's coming. Then the phrase denied the faith, it means that, uh, they would refuse, somebody would refuse or abnegate the thing that's provided for him. So if, uh, you know, if you have a sickness and you get a prescription and you got the right medicine given to you by the right person and you have the right to go get it and use it and you died because you didn't take the medicine, you would be a denier of the resource given to you to correct the situation. And that's the idea that Paul is conveying here. So if a man does not provide for his household, he's a denier of what God's already given to counter the thing that this man is struggling with. Let's look at it again. If any man provide not for his own, especially those of his own house. Well, that would be speaking directly to fathers, wouldn't it? He hath denied the faith. Now, let me tell you something. Our Father, Father God, knew that in this last day, we would need something as strong and as clear and as powerful as this message. He sent it before most of us were even born. He sent it because He knew we'd need it. He sent it because He knew that in the last day, it was going to take the spirit of Elijah with such a message crystal clear, and so powerful and effective, and so good at turning light on the whole Bible, and giving us an understanding of things that mattered, that God knew we would have need of it when we got to this hour, because this hour was going to hold all kinds of challenges that other ages never held. And you were going to need a powerful, clear message delivered very clearly and very simply by somebody who knew where he stood by God. And you know what? You didn't pray and ask God for that. God foresaw that need and provided it for you because He loves His own. That's what the Scripture means. And if you don't accept it, God, God... I don't know whether God knows this expression or not, but he must go like this. What more can I do? What more can I give those people down there? What else? Tell Someone tell me. What else can I do for those people in the last of the last who are living out there in the corona days here? What, am I, what, am I, what else am I supposed to do? I, I saved the best and gave the best in the last age here. You know what? You're worse than an infidel. For somebody to take this message and look at it for the solution that it is. And then turn away from it and say, I don't need it. I'll figure out my own way. You are as foolish as an infidel. Because an infidel is a fool who says in his heart, there is no God. Right? And so this is what this is what Paul is actually conveying. So let me tell you, saints of God, we as fathers, we have the primary responsibility over and above the bacon and over and above all the other entertainments of this life. The most important commission given to us is to bring what God has provided for us to make it through this age to the generation that follows us. For me to evangelize my children and my grandchildren and for me to, uh, you know, influence them towards the kingdom of God. That to me is the greatest challenge and the greatest commission and the greatest responsibility that I have as a parent for my children above all the other responsibilities that God has given them. I gotta be a good steward. I gotta be a good, uh, you know, a good husband. I gotta be, uh, all kinds of things in life because of my, I gotta be a good pastor. I gotta be, I gotta be, good, good, I gotta, I gotta dress right, talk right, and so on. I can't use the words of my, as I got my grandchildren here in the, in the, I can't say the word S-T-U-P-I-D because they don't, they get offended when I say that. Even though Brother Brandon said that a couple of times. But hear me out. My most important responsibility is to make sure that they're aware of the kingdom of God. They're aware that there's a God who lives. And to instill in them the faith that Jesse instilled in David. Because you know what? David was going to need that faith up the road. A father's heart is to give to his children, even what they don't need at the time, but knowing they're going to need it. I need to model a good husband in front of my boys because I know they're going to get married one day and they're going to need to know what a good father, a good husband does. I need to handle my finances well because I know that they're going to have an example of that. They're going to have an image of that that they're going to have to use later on up the road when they get married and have their own household, right? But the most important thing is for me to model or reflect the image of God so that they can see there is a God who actually lives and reflects his life through my life. And then they can go on and do that themselves. And they can become an image for their own children. Brother Branham said, This world this morning is the spoken word of God, and he believed his own word. And if you're an offspring of him, God is in you, he will believe his own word. Though it cannot be seen, felt, tasted, or anything, he'll believe it, for God in you will believe his own word. Let me tell you something. It's not me believing for my children or imposing my will and my belief on my children. To me, my job in my household is to create an atmosphere into which the Holy Spirit can come, that He can create this experience in their hearts, that even if I'm removed, they'll believe the Word of God, and it's Christ in them believing the Word, not Dad forcing them not to smoke, not to wear tattoos, not to dress it decently. Do you understand what I'm saying? This has to come from within, not from without. I can be a controller. I can be somebody who dictates, or you won't do this and you won't do that. Let me tell you, that'll work for a season when the kids are little. When you tell them all they gotta, you know, be in their car seats and they gotta, you know, they gotta wear shoes and they gotta put them on the right feet and all the rest of it. I mean, that works for a season when you tell your kids this. Be quiet, you know, time for bed or whatever else, or go to school or, you know, all the other things that you tell your little kids. And you tell them a thousand times. And, That works for a season, but as they get older, the more, the more restrictive you are inappropriately, the more they'll find a way to rebel unless they have an encounter with God. Because there's a time when spanking becomes less effective. You have to strategize. You have to think about how I'm going to maintain discipline within my own household, but I'm going to do it in an an age-appropriate way. But I know this, that I can't treat my teenage children like children, like five- and six-year-olds, even if they act like five- and six-year-olds, because now their personalities have changed. So my job then is to make sure that my kids, even though I'm not the Holy Ghost, and in my job description of being a father, being a parent, I never found the fact where I was the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. But my job was to create an atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit was always welcome. Therefore, I had to say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Brother Brian over here doesn't have any children. But you know what? In order for the Holy Spirit to come into his house, or Sister Sarah, or anybody else here this morning that's on their own, or maybe you've got your children raised, we still have the responsibility to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit's welcome. Because Brother Brian needs the Holy Spirit's help. Sister Sarah needs the help of the Holy Spirit. We all need the help of the Holy Spirit. Would you agree? Whether you have kids or not, that atmosphere makes a difference for the Holy Spirit to come into. Because things operate on the basis of atmosphere. Let's, hold it, let's see how far we can get here. Now, Brother Branham defines this, and let's talk about parenthood here for a moment and stretch it out a little bit. What is fatherhood? It's an attribute of God. If it's an attribute of God, then it's worth us talking about. If we be God's children, God wants us to love one another, and in doing so, we love God. In, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, and it was revealed unto him by, by Simeon, the, the Gospel says, It was revealed unto Simeon by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We know that story. Simeon's waiting for the Messiah in his lifetime. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law and so forth and so forth, the Spirit told uh, Simeon that this was the one. All I want you to do is notice that he said, he used the word, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus... The word parents in all of the Bible, in Hebrew, it's Abba, and in the, Old, in the New Testament, it is a Greek word, Goneus, and it refers primarily to the word father. So when the word parents is used, the first or primary meaning is parent, or sorry, father, and then the parents, because the father is the critical player in this household. In other words, the father is the one that God's going to deal with. When it comes to parenting and it comes to setting the direction for this household, the father is the one that God's going to deal with primarily. And so even when the word parents is used or parenthood, we're still heavily leaning towards fathers. Which tells me a couple of things. Number one. You have to be careful in your house that you don't give the lion's share of responsibility of raising your family to your wife. You can't do that. Now, some of you work long hours, and some of your brothers are gone and traveling and so forth. But you know what? We have the means today to be able to stay in contact, and we have to make the effort to stay in contact with what actually happens on ground level zero, ground zero, to know what's going on in that household so at least husband and wife can set direction. We can set direction when it comes to finances. We can set the direction when it comes to what we're going to allow our children to do and not do, what they're going to participate in and what they're not, what kinds of activities about, uh, you know, just, just the associations that they'll have. The critical questions that parents need to make, parents need to do it together. But I will tell you something, that fathers cannot give that entirely over to their wives and say, Honey, you look after that. I'm busy. i got a new tool. I'm going to be out in the shed. I'll be out there 12 hours. Uh, You sort this out. A father's got to roll up his sleeves, in other words. A father's got to be involved. Now, let me divert just a little bit broader, okay? And, And I... I, I, it just gets bigger and bigger as you go along. Only one form of eternal life, and that was God. This is, God, this is God's view of the family. Let me say this about, about statements like this. The more serious statements, the more profound statements about eternal life and the genetics of God's family are all found towards the very end of Brother Braham's ministry. So if they're going to be weighted at all, These are the things that God wanted to be sure we got before that prophet left the earth. And Brother Branham puts emphasis on this in the last part of his ministry. And he's watching the word open up and things are unfolding, like we said earlier. Things are unfolding and becoming more real to him. And he's realizing that this connection that we have with God is not just an emotional experience because we went to an altar and wept or because we were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This experience goes much, much deeper than this. And it actually began long before you put your two feet on the earth. It began in the mind of God. It began in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Brother Bram's going back, and he's reinforcing this over and over again. And he's he's telling us this very, very clearly. He said, to be a son of God, you had to be in Him always. You didn't join the family. You didn't sign up. You didn't stumble into the right church. You were always a part of Him. And that's why you are a part of Him now. Can somebody say amen? Amen. The gene of your spiritual life was in God the Father before there was even a molecule. And you are nothing but the manifestation of the gene of life that was in God as a son of God. Now you're expressed, after His Word has come in you, to light up this age. So God placed you in this age on purpose and then gave you a word for this age on purpose that you might be guided on your way. And you are expressing God's life in you because you are a son or a daughter of God. You're sitting in this church because your duty is to express God to this nation and neighborhood where you associate. Whatever you, Wherever you are, God knew you would be here because you have to be one of his genes or his attributes. I mean, that to me, I don't know about you, but that's comforting to me. That I'm here, God chose me to be here, and I'm one of His offspring. God could have placed me in any age, but He placed me right here so that I can express God, a living God, to the nation, to the neighborhood, to my church, to uh, my family, my children. I can express God to everybody I come in contact with because God's placed a part of Himself in me and given me the experience that allows God to bloom out and actually express the attributes of Christ. God's done that, and God, before there was a world, knew you'd be here, and when the word or the washing of the water of the word fell upon you, it was expressed in being. So it's either the washing of the water of the word or the eagle flying over the barnyard, or whatever kind of analogy you want to use there, it all produces the same thing: a son who's in contact with God who lives to express God to the world around him. Now you have fellowship with your father, just as you have with your earthly Father. You are sons and daughters of the living God, if it be that eternal life dwell in you. So go backwards now. Go backwards and also remember that your sons and daughters are going to express what's in them because they are sons of the Father. They are sons of the mother. They are daughters of the mother. Right? All right. So God knew that in the challenging age we are living in, God knew or we can say it this way, God puts something in you to help you navigate through the age we're living in. God provides a light for whatever age you live in. We could take this and apply it to any church age. We could take this and apply it to any time, all from, from Acts 13 right till now when the gospel came to the Gentiles. And we could, we could say that this is how we live, this is how we walk, this is how we understand. is because we're walking in God's light. You don't need to provide the light. You don't need to even open up the light. The light will unfold and reveal itself. Right? You don't need to do that. You just need to follow in its path. When this pillar of fire moves, you move. When it stays, you stay. And when it opens up and reveals itself, you walk in that. Are we okay? And there's no fear in that for the children of God because, you know what, even when it, when it comes to viruses or it comes to wars or it comes to nuclear threats or whatever else, you know what, If that, your, your, your key, your key to success is going to be watching whether that light moves now or whether it doesn't. And if it doesn't, we're going to stay right where we are. And if it moves, we're going to move with it. Doesn't matter what anybody else in the world is doing, we're going to move with that pillar of fire. We're going to move in that light because that light was opened up and revealed itself for us. Are we okay? So some of the unique characteristics that we find in our age is absolute rebellion and worldliness in your face in the last day. Paul warned us of it. In the last day, perilous times would come. And men would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers, lovers of God. If there was ever a real, or, or an accurate statement about our time, it, it is that. They're lovers of themselves. They're covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, and disobedience to parents. Well, if we take our meaning of parents, then fathers would be the ones who, in a sense, would be standing at the door when their son is trying to break out or their daughter is trying to break out. In a sense, he's kind of the should be the last line of defense, like Brother Branham was when Billy Paul walked out. Brother Branham was the one that told him, he said, spread out your arms, son, and so forth. You know, we have a standard in this house. You, you, you violated that standard. You've got to make a choice now, and so forth. Brother Branham was the last one. He didn't say, honey, you take care of that, will you? Brother Branham was the person standing there. Paul says in the last day, this is going to be really big. This is going to be issues that you're going to have to deal with. That people would be false accusers. They would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. There would be people who have a form of godliness. and This is the kind of thing you're going to experience in the last day. Brother Branham is very careful and he's very consistent through his ministry talking about this scripture. He says, America, how awful, would you have, how awful God have hovered you, but now your hour has come. You lead the world in filth, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and so forth. No true love even for one another, man to woman, woman to man. Not even natural affection, filth, sexually, and the Supreme Court defending it. The highest courts in our land allowing it and preventing you from saying anything against it. Brother is very consistent. You'll find him talking about, you know, the Beatles and what they introduced and what came in in the 60s and so forth, and I'll come back to these. I want to leave you with one statistic. I promise only to give you one statistic every service, but I need to explain this statistic, but here it is. In 1965, in our country, there were nine weddings for every ten funerals. According to surveys done, and they keep very good records of this, whenever I have the privilege of marrying somebody, I sign a marriage certificate, that goes to the courthouse, and they record that. So, uh, so so-and-so married so-and-so, and and it's recorded. So, we know how many weddings and funerals are done by churches in a county in a particular year. It's easy to find. In 1965, there were nine weddings for every ten funerals. That's changed. Here's the number in 2017, there were 3.7 weddings for every 10 funerals. Now, this, this, uh, this information came to me, and I, 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 was, I was absolutely struck by this statistic. I promise I don't give you a whole lot of them, but, but this, this one really caught my eye. And I thought, wow. Or I went, whoa. Whoa. Three point seven weddings for every ten funerals there's a reason for this, and the reasons for this is what I want to talk to you about and this statistic to me is something that is is a, a cultural thing, but it 's also a Christian thing, and that's what that 's what really caught my attention now. We don't fall into the general pile of statistics that govern the world out there because we're a little bit different and where our values and our priorities, our commitments are a little bit different. But I will tell you this, that we're not that far behind. And if you don't believe me, just get the Netflix statistics. Anyway, I'll move on. What people are, what people are discovering now, what researchers are discovering and they're writing about and they're, they're noticing this is that there's a lot of people in our world who, um, they, they look very differently at marriage. They look very differently at the institution of marriage and what marriage actually is, what, what its definition really is. And in the old days, marriage required a commitment. It, comm- it, it required a, um, you know a losing of our individuality to become one with somebody in a sexual union. And a realization that, you know what, she's got something I don't have, and I've got something that she doesn't have. And there's a blending together, there's a leading of the Holy Spirit that brings two people together and creates a new family unit together. As a result of this statistic changing so much and people's views of marriage changing so much, there's more common law marriage that goes on. And there's more other arrangements for marriage going on. There's more same-gender activity that's going on. There's all kinds of factors that contribute to this. Now, what I want to share with you is, are things that I hope will help you to be mindful of the fact that everything about Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the days of Noah and so forth, where they were marrying and giving in marriage and all of that, that was one of the objects of the social disintegration of the time. Things broke down. God couldn't reverse it. The only thing to do was to judge it and to burn it, or to flood it. And part of the characteristic of what happened back there, back there, was was a change in things like marriage and family, and how people thought about discipline and disciplining their children and all of that. And I just I just bring this up. And forgive me if I'm forgive me if I'm you know talking about this maybe. A, a, Let me just say this. I think it's important for all Christians to know what kinds of things healthy Christians believe about families and marriage. I think it's important to be reminded of that. Because this affects all of us. But remember that when we get it right, you're reflecting what's in the mind of God. What's in the mind of God was found in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Genesis. Right? Genesis 1 and 2, and, and you know we have this, you know, this, this whole s- set up with a, a man and a wife, and God married them together and said, now they shall be one together, and that was the foundation, and then they built on that. And of course, Satan got in and, and messed that picture up, but that, that was the mind of God. The f- very first thing that God did was to establish this household, this family, this family unit. And then from that, children were to come and all the other blessings that were to come. And so whenever we get it right, we're reflecting the image that God put before us way back in the, in, in the very beginning. So just because our society is not getting it right doesn't mean that we have to walk down their pathway. It doesn't mean that we had to walk their road. We are walking by a different light. And that different light is given to us by a different God who operates by different principles. Not the God of this evil age, but the God of creation. And so, therefore, we need to follow the principles that are found in his word. And that's why Paul labored when he said to the Thessalonians, it's my desire to impart to you not only the teaching, but also my heart, also my soul. He said, I want, you to, give you, I want to give you the experiences. I want to give you the, the, you know, the, the hindsight. I want to give you the, the good advice that I, I have received and I've experienced over life. I want to give you that. I want to tell you what things mean so that you can not fall into the traps that Satan is laying for everyone. And obviously, lots of people are falling into we have a better light. We have a better truth to follow. We have a better reason to live above those things of the world. And so therefore, it's important for us as fathers to be like Jesse, who knew and then told a story. He shared the narrative with his children and it built faith. It's our job as fathers to know what's right and share it with our children and say, you know what, you want something that God's going to bless Here's what I would do if I were you. And when your sons come to you and ask you, what what does this mean? Or when your daughters come and say, should I marry this boy? Or what does this mean? How should I do this? Then you have a story to tell because you've been taught the right narrative. You've been taught the right thing. And that's what that imparting is all about. And that's the heart of the Father, to impart to his body, to impart to his family the things that are right, so that we can navigate through and above the curse of Laodicea. The curse of Laodicea is darkness and a feeling of, well, hey, we're rich and increased with goods. We have need of nothing. That's a curse of Laodicea, right? God's given us something better than that, to be able to navigate through and above Laodicea so that we can impart to our children and our children's children the things that they need to have in order to navigate above and through the world that they're going to live in. I fear for our upcoming generations. I'll tell you what, I I get nervous and I think about, you know, my grandchildren growing up and beginning to have families and to think about, you know, what their future holds and how they're going to educate their children when they get up 20 years from now and they're going to educate their children. Or what kind of things they're going to have to put up with in the workplace when they get up to to their working ages. My goodness, if it's like it is today, what is it going to be like if we have 20 years? Let's say 10 years What is it going to be like to raise a child? What kind of restrictions and boundaries are going to be put in place in terms of you disciplining your own children and so forth? And if your children are in control in your household, let me tell you, that household's in trouble. Politicians are not able to turn it around, obviously. Right? Another election's not going to turn it around. Money doesn't turn it around. International interference doesn't turn it around. It's only the Holy Spirit that can turn it around. Or let me say it this way. The only only way your life's going to be turned around is the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart and turns you around. But the Holy Spirit is not interested in reforming this world. The only thing he can do, what's left, is to judge this world as what he's promised and take the bride out of it before that judgment strikes. If I can impart to you anything, if I can impart to you something that will help you be able to navigate through and above this world, then let me tell you something, that allows me to put my head on the pillow at night. Because that's the right thing. That's the heart of the Father. And He's interceding. He's given. I want to give to my sons and my grandchildren, I want to give to them things that they may not need at the moment, but I know they're going to need because this is the way history is going. This is the way the world is unfolding. This is the way things are going. And I know they're going to need to have an experience with God because that never gets out of date. That never gets out of season. It's always timely to have an encounter with God. That's the first thing. But then what do we do with that encounter? What do we do with that personal experience with God? Do we just follow the church and what everybody else is doing? Or do we learn how to tap into the mind of God? Do we learn the sliding scale of values? Do we learn about work and responsibility and stewardship and money and all the other things that are there? Hey, the Bible is full of instruction. That's why Solomon told his sons, come and hear the instruction of your father and listen to the wisdom of your mother. Huh? Who knew that God knew, that your parents knew, that you don't know? Let's stand to our feet. I don't mean to keep you that long. I just get that family camp spirit all over me, and I think, wow, you know, I'd just like to be able to go on and roll on here and be able to deal with some of these subjects here because this is at the core, this is at the core of how God introduced himself in the first place in the Garden of Eden, that he was the father. And if he was the father, if he was the parent, if he was the one who created all of this, then God wanted a hierarchy and he wanted a way for things to, to operate on, in that kingdom that he was now expressing on the earth. And as we get it right, as we get it right, God is actually conditioning us now because of the pollution on this earth. God's not going to set up his kingdom as it is. So as we get it right, God is actually preparing you and training you to do it right in his kingdom. He wants to eat and drink with us in that kingdom, right? And this is, how, this is what he's doing. He's training us and preparing us to get it right in that kingdom. And I, to me, I, I, think that's, um, I think that's an exciting thing. And I say, Lord, uh, just have your way. Just, just do it, Lord. Just unfold yourself and reveal yourself more and more that, we can, that you can impart things to us and we can be receptive to it. I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful thing. We sing praises to your name, O Lord. I sing praises to your
7: name. Oh Lord, Jaren, come on up and help me here. Praises to your name. Oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great. And
5: we should lift it up a little bit. Let's lift it up a little bit. Just a notch. yeah. Let's sing it again now. We sing praises. Praises
7: to your name, O Lord, praises to your name, O Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, yes, praises to your name. Oh, Yes, God will make a way again now my God will make a way where there seems to His side with love and strength
5: Person choir just with your eyes closed and just listening to the sound of that it just sounds so anointed so wonderful and real we're going to close in prayer this morning we're going to invite brother Aaron if he would come close in prayer for us this morning we want to remember the special needs that we have mentioned among you we want to hold up sister Karen Pruitt in prayer sister Hannah Whitlock the many others in our assembly who are not well ministers who are laying in a hospital bed and just looking for strength to be able to stand on their feet. And many other requests and petitions that you have here this morning. So as we pray together as an assembly, I want you just to reach out to God and believe that He hears you. And in the same way that God provides us with good doctrine and good things, good ministers, all those kinds of things, you remember too that He wants to hear from you because it's a communion. He wants to hear from you. And if you have a petition, if you have a word of praise, if you have something you want to give to Him, that's the time to do it. So let's join together now in prayer. Let's sing that little chorus one more time, and we'll invite Brother Aaron to come and close in prayer. Create in me
7: a clean. And renew a right speech.
8: Heavenly Father, Lord, it's been so wonderful to sit at your table today and feast. And Lord, we, we just offer thanksgiving to you. Yes, Lord. As we've praised you with these lips, Lord, now from a grateful heart, we just offer thanksgiving. Yes, Lord, Jesus. That we have a privilege of feasting on a word, Lord, which is not shallow, which even though to the world it might seem to be outdated, Lord, it's deep to us, it's rich, it's 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 what sustains us, it's what we live by. And Lord, we've been challenged as parents from Your Word, and it seems to be a tall task as we look at it. Yes, Lord. But if we go back to the beginning, You, being children. that original parent, were taught that You equipped Your children. So I believe, Lord, even though I may measure myself by the Word today and feel that I've fallen short, You've equipped me as a father. Lord, it lays yes, within Lord. me yes, to be yes, the, the man that I ought to be. Thank you,
5: Lord Jesus. And Lord,
8: as we've been challenged, I just pray for us, That we could have faith in your word that you have equipped us, that you would not call us to be mothers in this last day had you not equipped us. You would not have called us to be fathers in this last day if you would not have equipped us. And in the office of a mother and the office of a father we stand expressing attributes of you. Therefore your provision is there with us. Thank you, Lord. So fathers, we thank you for this word, and as we acknowledge we've been challenged by it, we by faith believe that you have equipped us. To meet the mark in this age. To be the providers that we ought to be. And to fulfill the role that we've been called to fulfill. And Lord, as fathers and mothers, as yes, parents, Lord, even as believers Lord, and Lord, sons Lord, and Lord, daughters Lord, of God, we lift up Lord, these requests Lord, before you Lord, once Lord. again. Believing that you're able to touch the men of God who've been afflicted by yes, COVID-19. Yes, Lord. Believing that you're more than able to touch Jesus. those who are not well. Lord, I realize that the the, the worst part of it is the fear and the stigma that's associated with it. So,
5: Lord, we rebuke the fear, we rebuke the stigma,
8: and we believe, Father, that by Your stripes they are healed. Lord, we realize that regardless of the measures that we may take and the, the, the distances that we keep, Father, lest You watch over us, we watch in vain. So, Father, we believe we'll do those things which are wise and prudent. We'll do those things which are in keeping with the law. And actually, Lord, out of, from a position of strength and care and concern for others, Lord, we'll do those things which are wise and prudent. But, Lord, at the end of the day, we trust that you're watching over us, that it would not be in vain. Father, I pray for us as a family of Hickory Bible Tabernacle, you keep us safe, you keep us healthy. Lord, pour back into our pastor all that he's poured out. May you strengthen him and encourage him. Lord, I just add my personal voice. Thank you, Lord, for this message today. It's needful. And may you bless our pastor for being faithful to deliver it. Bless the people as they go now, as we commit all things to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, Lord
5: Jesus. Thank you. All the people said, You are beautiful beyond description.
7: You're tomorrow. For comprehension Like nothing ever seen or heard Who can grasp your infinite wisdom Who can fathom the depth of your love In throne above, and I stand. I stand in all of you. Yes, I stand. Oh, I stand in all of you, Holy God. Stand in all of you and I stand I stand in all of you. Yes I stand oh I stand in all standing of you
5: praise the Lord we're going to let you go this morning we're going to sing that a little one more time again and uh, may the Lord bless you Lord willing we'll have service on Wednesday night here when you pray remember the folks who are on the front line of uh, medical work and we appreciate you you're you're our heroes and we appreciate your dedication and your uh, desire to help. We pray for those who have uh, been in contact with the disease that's that's around and uh, asking for healing and deliverance, and there's, there's many. So uh, we trust that the Lord will bless you and bless your week. Go in faith, and not in fear, and uh, we'll trust God for the outcome. Remember Brother Tom on Tuesday, going for his surgery. May the Lord bless you today. You are beautiful beyond description,
7: too marvelous for words, wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard.
0: Of your love, you are beautiful beyond description. Oh, Majesty enthroned.